we're in Proverbs chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up there. Um, it's a great chapter. You guys are going to see that. But you'll notice that there are a lot of knots in Proverbs chapter 3. Um, not knots that you tie strings with or ropes with, but knots uh, like uh, do not or, or let not or lean not. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 3 that there are 12 knots found in this chapter. And today we get to cover five of them. If you want, look real quick. You'll see there in verse 1, it says, My son, do not forget my law. And then there in verse 3, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. And then there in verse 5, Lean not on your own understanding. And then in verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. And then the last thing we'll see is there in verse 11, it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. And so, you know, we're going to see in this chapter that we're told over and over again what not to do, followed by with what we are to do. And so as I was going through it, I was actually thinking about that chapter in Ephesians 4 and 17 through 32, where that section of scripture, it tells us what we're not to do, how we're not to be like the world, how we're not to be like we used to be before we were Christians. As a matter of fact, there in Ephesians 4, it says we're to put off the old man and put on the new man. Uh, there it talks about um, we shouldn't be lying anymore. We are not to lie, but we're to start speaking the truth. Uh, we're not to steal any longer. As a matter of fact, we are to start giving. Uh, we are not to be uh, tearing people down with our words but we are to be building people up with our words. And so, you know, we see it there in Ephesians 4. We're going to see it tonight in Proverbs 3. And to me, I think it's so cool when, when God not only identifies the problem, he says, don't do this, but then he offers the solution. Um, please do this. And so we're going to see that tonight in Proverbs chapter 3. So keep your eye open for that. Uh, another thing that I thought was kind of cool, just to kind of give you a little heads up before we dive into the chapter, is that I noticed that God gives us reasons for his regulations. He gives us reasons for his requests. God tells us not to do this, and he tells us to do this, and then he explains why. He doesn't simply say, hey, Manny, don't eat the whole bag of hot Cheetos, and I ask, why not, Lord? And he says, because I said so. Uh, God's not like that. And he says, uh, Miho, because one serving has uh, 160 calories, 11 grams of fat, one and a half grams of saturated fat, and 250 milligrams of sodium. And Manny, you're, uh, you got high blood pressure. You shouldn't be eating that. And so, you know, God says, don't eat the whole bag of Cheetos. Uh, he tells me why. He says, it's okay to throw a few of those Cheetos in your burritos or maybe on your popcorn, but not to eat the whole serving. And so, you know, it's kind of like that, you guys. God, he's going to give us the, the rules, the regulations, the requests, so to speak, because it's rooted in a relationship. But then he tells us the reason why, and he gives us the rationale. And so uh, really excited about what we're going to study tonight. There's actually five things if you're taking notes. Uh, I want to encourage you to write a few things down. Number one, 
we should be bound to the Bible. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 4, how we should be bound to the Bible. Number two, uh, we can be guided by God. And that is so cool to know that God himself is willing to guide us. Number three, we can find health through holiness. We find health through holiness. And then number four, we have supplies through stewardship. And we're going to see that in verses 9 and 10, how God supplies through stewardship. And then the fifth thing in verses 11 and 12, we're going to see how we are loved by the Lord. And I'll repeat them as we go through. But we see, first of all, in Proverbs chapter 3, in verse 1 and 2, it says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. And here we see the Lord speaks to us as his children, whom he's taught his truth. And he commands us here not to forget the wisdom of his word, not to forget the law of the Lord. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to be a forgetful person. Uh, where did I uh, put my keys? Where did I place my phone? I, I can't remember where my glasses are. Uh, sometimes I, I, I say, well, I don't remember saying that, or I don't remember doing that. Why? Because I, I tend to be a forgetful person. But I'll tell you what, guys, if there's one thing I pray I'd never forget, it's the law of the Lord. It's the wisdom of God's word. You know, and I, and I think it, it could actually happen. I think it could slip away if I, if I fell away. If I lose that heart to read it every day, there actually might come a day when, man, I used to know his word so well. I used to swing the sword, but now I don't swing it you know I, I wing it and now i don't know it like i used to i i think in one sense that can happen but um of course we know that forgetting is not merely failing to remember intellectually it primarily means failing to do obediently and that's why when you read the book of james uh, chapter one he says uh, let's not just be hearers of the word let's be doers of the word because if we hear the message and God is trying to tell us things to do and we don't do it, James chapter 1 verse 25 says that we become forgetful hearers. And I think that's what Solomon is talking about right here. When he says don't forget the law, he's saying don't forget to live the word of God. Again, there in verse 1, he says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands so don't do this on the contrary this is what you need to do you see we can't just carry the bible in our hands we we can't just contemplate it in our heads we must keep it obey it hide it even write it on our hearts that's what we need to do look at what it says there in verse 3 again it says let not mercy and truth forsake you Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. You know, what we see right here, the truth is that we are to write this truth on that tablet uh, of our heart. I, I was so blessed uh, the other day, someone texted us after one of the services, and so we got to talk on the phone, and 
this sister was telling me how uh, she uh, heard the studies and she was encouraged uh, to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and, and she did it. And man, it just blessed my heart to know that people are writing the word on their heart like that. They're hiding it in their heart. I think you guys know how important our heart is. Our physical hearts are so amazing. Uh, they beat 100,000 times a day. They pump about six quarts of blood every single minute. About 2,000 gallons. Think about that. 2,000 gallons of blood a day. Our hearts are so important that, that when they stop beating, we die. And so, just as our physical heart is vital, our, our spiritual heart is more so. And so, you know, when we're, when we're bound to the Bible, we're blessed by the Bible, we have to make sure that it goes all the way into our hearts. You know, it's the, the real me, the real Manny, deep, deep down inside. You know, the question is, in all reality, the question of the day is, is my heart right? And one of the ways that my heart will be right is if I write his word on my heart. You know, I think probably just like we see in the, in the physical realm, uh, I would venture to say that in the spiritual realm, a lot of people need heart surgery. And the cool thing is God is willing to do that. And he's able to change our hearts and give us a new heart and cleanse, cleanse our heart and enlarge our heart, even give us a heart after his if we let him. And so uh, one of the strongest ways I think that God does that is by taking the scalpel of the scriptures into our hearts. And that's what Solomon is encouraging us here. Let God do that. Don't just bind the Bible around your neck, tattoo it on your heart. Why, Manny? Why, why shouldn't I forget the law? Well, notice again the general principle that we read here in, in verse 2. It says, for length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. You know, it's a trip. The general principle is that those who are spiritually wise, who don't forget the word of God, actually live longer lives. Uh, those who are not wise often live lives that are cut short. Now, again, this is not like an absolute precept, but it is a general principle that those who live according to the scriptures live longer lives. Of course, we know sometimes God has it to where people have a shorter race to run. I was thinking of that great missionary, Jim Elliott, and the other guys, um, they, they died, they passed away young. And Jim Elliott was only 29 years when, when he went home to be with the Lord, and he finished his race in such a glorious way. And so again, not an absolute precept, but a general principle. You know, uh, sometimes uh, people's lives are, are cut short because they don't obey. I was thinking about one brother who used to come to church and God was working in his life. And then one day he stopped. He started hanging out with the wrong, the wrong crowd. Next thing you know, he's in the wrong place. He gets shot and he dies. You know, my heart just aches for this guy. I remember another brother uh, way back, man, he, he left his wife. He left God for a Harley Davidson and a Harley Davidson girl. Next thing you know, he ends up dead. And what we find is that God here, he gives us this general principle that, you know, if we do things according to his will, 
you know, then we'll live longer lives. There'll be less violence, no drugs, no drinking, no kind of weird thinking, really, when you follow the Lord. Now, someone might ask, well, Manny, uh, why would anyone want to live a long life? I mean, this world is crazy. I tell you what, I just want to go home and, and be in heaven. And the simple answer to that is the reason I want to live longer in one sense is because I want to do more for the Lord. You know, Paul in Philippians 1, 21 through 25, he talked about that. You know, when he was in prison, part of him wanted to go home and be with the Lord. Part of him wanted to depart. But then there was another part of him that wanted to stay. And God had been ministering to him. You're going to be around for a little longer because he said there in Philippians 1, it's more needful for you. And he said, there will be fruit from my labor. And, and that's kind of why we want to linger. That's why we want to live longer. You know, to serve the Lord, man, and, and to do his will and to, to minister to people, to see souls get saved, to see uh, saints get stronger. And so here, Paul tells us, don't forget the law of the Lord. Um, don't forget it intellectually. Don't forget it practically because then you'll live longer. And not only will God add a quantity, he'll add quality. Not only will he give uh, days to your life, he'll give life to your days. It's so cool how it even says right there in verse 2, and then he will give peace to us. It says there, in verse 2, that we will have peace added to us. And I just thought about that. Wow, Lord, that is a sermon in and of itself. And so if we don't forget God's law, if we notice there in verse 4, let not mercy and truth forsake us, then it says uh, we will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. You know, and these are just general principles. You know, we'll live longer lives. We'll live good lives. We'll have good names. We'll have a good reputation with people and more importantly, with God. And so that's why I'm bound to the Bible. That's why I'm blessed with the Bible. That's why Psalm 1, it says that I'm to meditate in it day and night. And that's why it's even an encouragement to know that you're here you know, watching this study because of that. You know, um, when we do that, we're going to have a good name, a good reputation with men and with God. I was thinking about Samuel. He was just a little boy. But the Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.26, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and with men. And then, of course, our Lord Jesus experienced the same thing growing up. It says in Luke 2, verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And so the first thing I pray that you're encouraged in, I pray that you're reading the Bible like crazy, man. You're, you're love it and learn it to live it. You're reading it. You're heeding it. You're bound by the Bible. You're blessed by the Bible. The second thing we see is we can actually be guided by God. Notice what we read in verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. 
And I'm pretty sure most of you guys out there, man, you know this verse, um, probably even know it by heart, huh? It's two of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible, teaching us that promise of God's personal guidance in our life and, and how we need that, don't we? You know, I was thinking today how life is amazing, but life in one sense is a maze. Lord, uh, which way do I go? What do I do? I know most of the guys would never admit it, but uh, sometimes you feel like you're you're lost at sea. You know, you're you're single. You're asking what companion, or you're young. You're asking what career. You know, we find ourselves at crossroads, and we don't know which way to go. Well, here we see that God Himself is willing to guide us. But it begins, first of all, in, in trusting the Lord. This is how God guides us. It begins with trust. Trust means belief in the ability, the reliability. Uh, to trust in a person means you believe in them. You believe they're true. You believe they love you enough. You believe they're strong enough to do what you've asked them to do. You believe that they're faithful enough to follow through. They're able. They're reliable. And, and truly, you got to know this, man. We can trust the Lord himself to guide us. But the thing about it that's interesting about this passage is that we're, we're not just to trust in the Lord. We're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. You know, I, I don't know about you. I, I bet you we all kind of, to a certain extent, have trust issues. If you've ever been hurt or, or betrayed by someone close, it can be very challenging to trust people. But, you know, hopefully most of us trust at least some people to a certain extent. But but even in that, you know, uh, we're human. And we might wonder, uh, can I really trust this person? Will they really follow through? Uh, do they really care for me? Do they really have my back? You know, to trust someone with all of your heart, it's very rare to have someone in your life that you can trust with all of your heart. But, but we all have one, at least one person that we can, and it's the Lord. You know, He made you. He knows everything about you, and He still loves you perfectly. He still has only good plans for your future, even though He knows everything about your past. And so we can trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And when we do that, what ends up happening right here is we lean not to our own understanding. You know, to lean not to our own understanding doesn't necessarily mean we check our brains in at the door, that we don't pull from past experiences, you know, successes, failures. It doesn't mean that we can't seek counsel and make decisions or just kind of even use some common sense. It just means that that's not all that we do. I think one of the main things it means, to be honest, it means that you pray about it. You know, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding in all your ways, and here's another way, there's another way, there's another way, there's another decision. There are desires that you have. You're not sure which way to go. And so you bathe it in prayer. You saturate it in prayer. That, that's what he's talking about. In all your ways, you acknowledge him. 
and then he will direct your path. You know, to acknowledge the Lord is more than just kind of like nodding in his direction. Okay, God, I, I kind of believe you exist. The Hebrew word yada, it means to know intimately. It's the same word used in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where the Bible says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. You know, if we have a heart to know God and to do His will and to know His will, then He will direct our paths. He will show you what paths to take. You know, one of my favorite passages uh, throughout my whole life as a Christian is Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12, where it says, Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You know, God will guide you. It's so cool as you're reading the Proverbs and you learn these things, you know, that how we're bound by the Bible, we're blessed with the Bible how we can be guided by God in life. You know, to be honest, sometimes I trip out. How, you know, did I end up with such a beautiful bride? And how did I become a family man, someone like me? How is it that I'm a pastor in what I consider to be a very special city? How did I become a part of this congregation and in all honesty, I never looked for it. I didn't look for those things. But I do believe by the grace of God, I always looked for Him. I feel like Matthew 6.33 is so important for us. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, think about it. Like following the Lord, Him leading you, Him guiding you. I mean, how important is that? And so we have the way to do that, the way to be directed by God here in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So in our study, we see that we are to be bound by the Bible. We are to be guided by God. And then thirdly, uh, we find health through holiness. Look at verse 7. It says, Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know, I know it kind of sounds silly, but sometimes people actually think they're smarter than God or they're smarter than their spiritual you know, leaders who are just giving them the word. They, they kind of have no reverence for the Lord or fear. They have no heart for holiness. And what we're seeing right here, don't be wise in your eyes. I think that's even connected with don't lean on your own understanding. I think uh, Joshua is a lesson. You know, when he went to the city of Ai, he didn't even pray about it. And uh, God uh, wasn't leading him and he was defeated utterly. Uh, there was another time when he made a covenant with the Gibeonites. He, he didn't pray about it. He just kind of looked at the circumstances and he thought, oh, it's cool. I don't need to pray. We don't really need to seek the Lord. No, we do. Uh, don't be wise in your own eyes. We need to fear the Lord. Depart from evil. You know, if only they would fear the Lord and depart from evil. And that's another general principle that we find in the book of Proverbs. This is, again, a general principle, not an absolute precept, that we would be healthier. We would actually be stronger physically. 
Watch, look at chapter 4 of Proverbs in, in verse 20. Proverbs 4 and verse 20, it says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your, your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Now, what we find is that exercising self-denial and godly discipline will actually bring health to our body and revive our soul. You know, I was reading this one article right here, and it was a report on how Christians actually live healthier and longer lives. It says, a new report indicates that those who believe in God not only live a healthier life, but also add 14 years to their life. According to the new report published by UK-based Christian Medical Fellowship, those who have faith carry positive health benefits such as coping with illness, faster recovery, as well as protection from future illnesses. The report uh, says that health benefits of Christian faith, it was by Dr. Alex Bunn and David Randall, drew evidence from over 1,200 studies and 400 reviews. One of the studies was where more than 20,000 American adults participated, and it showed this, that income and education had little impact, but those who went to church regularly had seven years added to their life expectancy, and some minorities in this added 14 years uh, to their life. And so, um, again, I know it, it sounds you know, like, wow, are you sure? Yeah. Again, not an absolute precept, but a general principle. We should be bound by the Bible. We can be guided by God. And we can actually find health through holiness. Now, if you think about it as Christians at the end of the day, what I think is this, is the enemy, he tries to get people uh, to engage in what, are, what, is, what is called self-destructive behavior. You know, pleasing yourself, hurting yourself by cutting yourself focusing on self and, and then you know what ends up happening is someone will look at that and they'll say well that's the the way the enemy operates and so Manny let me ask you a question why do you exercise why do you run why do you want to live longer why do you choose not to eat an entire bag of hot Cheetos and, and the answer is and this whole health thing it's kind of related that I do want to be healthy I, I do want to be strong. I do want to be strong to serve the Lord. I want to be set apart for Him, not in worldliness, but in holiness. And so there's nothing wrong with that, you guys. Uh, take care of your temple. Uh, 3 John uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so really cool things here, uh, bound to the Bible, guided by God, healthy through holiness. There is an aspect to that. I know some things are genetic, but there is some truth to that. And then uh, number four, it's interesting, in verses 9 through 10, we have supplies through stewardship. Look what we read here in verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, 
and your vats will overflow with new wine. And so uh, again, you guys notice huh, the the um, the rule, the regulation, whatever the request is then given with a reason why. God says, if you honor me with your possessions, if you give to me the first fruits, then your barns will be full, your wine vats will overflow. And, and I was thinking about this, I, I was reading one commentary uh, in which David Guzik wrote, when we truly trust God, we can honor God, we can honor him with generosity that realizes he is the great provider and God has inexhaustible resources. You know, that, that's even one thing. This is a quick side note, you know, where we trust in the Lord with all our heart, lead not to our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he directs our path. You know, the, 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 the common sense mentality which says, I, I'm going to keep it for myself because I want more. But by faith, when we do things God's way, it's so cool. When we are generous, when we give, God then blesses us. One thing I learned about being a Christian is you can't outgive God. And that's why we read this is so important. Now here when Solomon speaks of our possessions, he's speaking of the things entrusted to us. The money, the material things, how we are to honor the Lord with our possessions. But we don't own them we're stewards of them, and we're to honor the Lord with them. And so I was going to show you guys, I have it in my uh, room over there, a Bose speaker that I have. And uh, I've had it for a long time. Uh, it sounds really good. But uh, uh, the Lord kind of put it on my heart. Make sure that the music you play through this, this speaker honors me. You know, everything that we have, it should be used to honor him. So we honor the Lord with our possessions because in all reality, it all belongs to him. And that's one of the reasons he says that we give to God the first fruits of all our increase. Notice again what it says right there. Verse nine, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. You know, I really think that word first is so important. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus 13, 1 and 2. It, it says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of mine, both of man and beast, it is mine. And they had the concept that the firstborn was the strongest. And so God said, Give me, they all belong to me, the firstborn. We read something similar, not with people or animals, but then with grain in Leviticus 23, 9 through 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And so... When you read that, that's why my conviction is when I get any type of increase, any type of income, the first fruits, the first check belongs to the Lord. And I like to tell people this. I tell them, you know, give to God the, the fat of the firstborn, the best of the best. Give from the top at least a, a tenth, at least a tithe. 
Now, some people have questions about, about giving. You know, I think we see the principle here. At the end of the day, the more generous you are in giving, the more God's going to bless you because then he realizes that he can entrust it with you those things, you know. But um, some say, well, it's not even mentioned in the New Testament. But in all reality, it is a tithe, which means a tenth. It is mentioned in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Uh, Jesus said, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. He said, These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And so Jesus here, in speaking in the New Testament, you know, he's kind of coming down on the Pharisees because for them, they were meticulously tithing, but not loving. But what Jesus basically says is do both. It's okay to tithe of your mint garden. It's okay to tithe of your increase, of your income. But make sure you also love as he loves. You know, to be honest, I'm, you know, my heart, it breaks for some of the saints who don't give to God at all. And many people who do give only give God the leftovers. Now, some people, they don't give, like the Bible says, cheerfully. Some people, they give grudgingly. And I think that's why God can't really bless them financially. You know, we have the budget and the houses and cars and clothes and cable and coffee and phones and fancy food. And then what ends up happening when you spend all that money, then you check the balance and there's really nothing left to give to God. You know, let, let me just say that that's not honoring the Lord. That's not honoring him with our possessions. And it's definitely not offering the first fruits. You know, so someone out there, they might say, well, Manny, you're, you're trying to get more money uh, for the church, huh? <laughs> and in all honesty, absolutely not. Um, I'm not trying to solicit for funds. Uh, you can talk to anyone in the church. They know that my heart's not like that. I'd very rarely talk about money. But the thing about it, you know, for our church, in all honesty, I'm blown away. Uh, uh, even though we have a small percentage of people who do give, we are so blessed as a church. God has always taken care of our needs and then some. But here's the thing. I want you to be blessed. Because when you give to God what belongs to God, you show that you're a good steward. And then you'll find that you can actually be entrusted with more. You know, that's the, the general principle. Some people say, well, you know, the reason they give is because they have so much. When in all reality, the reason they have so much is because they give. Some people say, well, you know, Manny, uh, uh, 10%. And again, that's between you and the Lord. I have a feeling that there might be some people who are on fixed incomes and, and widows. And God knows certain situations where people are not spending on lavish things. They, they can't give 10%. God knows. But for the most part, I think most of us can give 10% and maybe even more. I like to say it this way, that 10% is a good place to start. I mean, if 10% was a requirement of the old covenant, how much more so in the new covenant where God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins? Imagine that sacrifice. And so um, there's a passage in, in the book of Malachi chapter 3 
if you want to turn there real quick, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And, and here in Malachi, um, God actually challenges us. And he tells us when we don't give to him what belongs to him, we actually rob him. It says in Malachi 3 in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. Now, tithes are the 10%. Offerings are what goes above the 10%. And what we find is that God is saying here that to, to some people who are not giving tithes and offerings, they're, they're actually robbing from God. And so this is God's challenge. He says, hey, verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And so God is saying, hey, try it, you know, test me. Watch what happens. You give to God what belongs to God. And again, that's something between you and him. Um, you know, the, 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 the offerings, the tithes, the donations, things like that. But you pray and the Holy Spirit will show you. He'll lay things on your heart as far as what belongs to him in that sense. Because it all does. But what he's going to ask you to give. And then you just be obedient. And God will then open the windows of heaven and he'll rain down on you such blessings that you won't even be able to hold it, man. It's going to be overflowing. And that's what we read here in, in Proverbs. You know, when you when you give a, a message on, on giving, a lot of times people, they just kind of shut down. Um, but like I said, it's for your benefit. And of course, it has to come from your heart. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And believe it or not, that word cheerful is where we get our word, the Greek word is where we get our word hilarious. God loves this person who kind of like, I, I remember watching uh, YouTube videos and maybe you guys have seen it where people, they go to give their offering and they're dancing, you know, they're so um, blessed that they're able to give to God. I mean, that's kind of the heart that needs to be behind it. God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. And so we read that here in the Proverbs. We're, we're learning, first of all, we, we got to be bound to the Bible. I hope you're blessed by the Bible, that you read it and you heed it, you love it, learn it, to live it every day. Secondly, that we can be guided by God. So trust Him. Do things his way, not your way. And then thirdly, we can find health, believe it or not, health through holiness. And then the fourth thing is we have supplies through stewardship. Remember, it all belongs to him. None of it's ours. Every single penny belongs to God. 
And then the last thing we see here in verses 11 through 12 is that we are loved by the Lord. He says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, as, as Christians, I think sometimes we think backwards because we've been in the world so long and because our flesh is so fallen and the enemy lies to us. You know, we kind of get this mentality. We say, well, if God loves us, then we shouldn't be experiencing such excruciating pain. And, and the thing that I want to encourage you in, and I know you guys hear me say this a million times, is wherever there's pain, there's purpose. And the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. Christian, uh, he, he loves you. I mean, that's already settled. He proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt when he died for you on Calvary. So he loves you. He, he made you. He maintains you. And he has a place called heaven for you forever. So he loves us. But what we find is that as when we go through the hard times and the chastening and the difficulties and the challenges, what that is, is, is on the contrary, all that is because he loves us. And that's why we're going through the heartache that we're going through. You know, we got to know, you guys, as we go through life, that every tear we cry, God sees it, he keeps it in a bottle, and I think he cries a thousand more. You know, what he says right here is, do not despise, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it, don't reject it, don't refuse it, don't think little of it, embrace it, don't just face it. He says right here, do not detest his correction. To detest means to abhor or grieve or be sickened by or wearied by. Where you come to a place in your life, whatever the, 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 the challenge is that you're going through, you hate it. You're wearied by it. He says, no, don't despise the instruction, the chastening. Don't you know, reject the correction or the rebuke. Because whoever the Lord loves, he chastens. You know, you, you got a, a kid in the supermarket and he's going crazy and part of you wishes you could spank him, but you can't because he's not your kid, right? And, uh, um, but when it's your child, you can. And what this proves in all reality is we're going through the heartache and we're going through the challenge. It proves that we're his kids. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, it has a lot more. It elaborates on this. I encourage you to read it when you can. But in verse 5, uh, it quotes this passage. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation. Don't forget, but you have forgotten the exhortation, which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And uh, I'd rather you know, have a verbal correction than a trancaso. I'd rather have a verbal correction than a circumstantial correction. But if that's what's necessary, then I have to take it as an exercise of, of God's love. And, you know, we go through that sometimes. I think you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I think that, you know, sometimes because we live in a fallen world, it's hard to discern, you know, what is the, the chastening? 
you know, or what is just the because of the fact that this world is broken, you know, and it's kind of interesting as I was reading on this, uh, teachers or theologians were saying that either way, whether it's just because we live in a broken world or whether it's God's direct hand, that if he allows challenges, that it's intended to change us. What that is, is discipline, not in a derogatory sense, but sometimes in a positive sense. You go and you're working out with a team and your coach, you know, he disciplines you because he knows that the battle is ahead. And we need that as God's children. And I was even thinking about what's going on in our world today. You know, I'm not a prophet with a capital P by any means. As a matter of fact, I don't really know a whole lot but I will say this, that I have a hunch that at least part of what our planet is experiencing is this, the chastening of God. Why? Because he loves us. So here's the question. Here's the big question. Is there any change? God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us the way we are. So he allows things to happen and sometimes he directly intervenes and he takes that, you know, that, 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 that rod and, and he chastens us and he challenges us in order to change us. And so even in our world today, you know, I was thinking the other day um, how in the book of Revelation, that things like this are, are going to happen, you know, on steroids. I mean, it's just going to be crazy during the tribulation period. But when you read the book of Revelation over and over again, it says even though they were experiencing all these, these crazy things, that they did not repent. You know, Revelation chapter 9, 20 through 21, it says the rest of the mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders and their sorceries, their sexual morality, or their thefts. You know, it's like God is just trying to get our attention. He's shaking things up. He's chastening the world because he wants to be our God. He wants to guide us to heaven. He wants to bless our life. But a lot of times, even though we go through all these things, we don't understand. It's because he loves us. And he loves us so much that he wants to change us. He wants to make us more like him. He wants to bring us to a place of absolute surrender and yielding to him. You know, I, I want to encourage you, church, um, get with the Lord. If you haven't already, please get on your knees and ask God, Lord, what are the things that you want to modify in my life? You know, it's so important that we have that discussion, that heart to heart with God, because when we come out of this, we don't want to come out the same. You know, we really want to be disciplined. We want to be different. All this, all this stuff that we're going through, it's crazy. But all we find is that it's because of the chastening of the Lord. And so in one sense, when you think of the word repent, what we're finding is the word return. God just wants us to return to him. You know, Jerry Bridges said this, the heart is the first thing that wanders away from God 
but it is also the first thing that returns to God. Even in the midst of, of all the, the chat chastening and all the challenges, you know, G. Campbell Morgan said, we cry too often to be delivered from the correction instead of the sin that lies behind it. We are anxious to escape from the things that cause us pain rather than the things that cause God pain. And so I pray we would know that as we're disciplined, that we're loved by the Lord. Question in closing, uh, do you love him back? Uh, are you willing to at least love him back? You know, what we find in this proverb right here is really interesting. It's a, it's a father talking to his children. And, and as Christians, we're not automatically, you know, God's children. What we find, John 3, 3 says that we need to be born again. And so John 1, 12, it says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so I pray that today, if you're out there and you don't know the Lord, that you would receive him as your Lord and Savior, that you would know he died for you on a cross, he rose again, and maybe you're hurting, maybe you're struggling, maybe you're, you know, have addictions, or you have depression, or you feel, you know, like you don't want to live, suicidal thoughts, things like that. I'm telling you this, man, you come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and he will bless you.